If you would please open the Bible to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to read verses 1 to 15, which is in the Pew Bible beginning on page 853. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. Would you please stand? When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, please send your gracious spirit powerfully upon us this morning, this Easter Sunday morning, as we gather together with grateful hearts. Uh, Please put a very far away from us, all the distractions would keep us from hearing your voice. Send your spirit, Father, to pry open our hearts, just as that tomb was opened long ago. And give grace, Father, that resurrection power might surge through us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, once again, happy Easter. Uh, It's been a particularly wonderful Holy Week, I think. We've had a lot of uh, different things going on here at the church, uh, some involving little groups. Uh, The deacons and the session met this week. The mission team was able to get together and sign at last their charter, which is a huge thing for our church. Uh, We had, of course, our Palm Sunday service last Sunday. We had Maundy Thursday a few nights ago. This room was transformed into a a banquet hall for a feast. Uh, We had... uh, Children and families and visitors all gathered together, uh, sharing fellowship as we remember the, the uh, inauguration of uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, 
Then, of course, on Good Friday, we were gathered together again in this room as Colin led us in a reflection on the cross and the significance of the cross to us today. Uh, yesterday was a lot of fun. We had a, an East, a traditional Easter egg hunt over at the Fowler's. Uh, what a wonderful day it was, seeing all these children running around, having a blast, uh, seeing the wonderful time of uh, them connecting to each other and getting to know each other. That's a beautiful thing in church life. Uh, so again, as I say, a lot of fun things going on, a lot of very meaningful things, and uh, I, I really appreciate everybody who pitched in to make it such a wonderful Holy Week. And of course, all this is leading us up to this morning, the Sunday of the Resurrection, Easter Sunday, the day when we reflect in a very specific way on something we remember every Lord's Day, something we really should remember and reflect on every single day, which is the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, this is, as the bulletin says, sort of the, the crux of history, beginning at the cross, continuing through Jesus' suffering and death there, and then coming to this powerful, climatic moment when Christ in resurrection power uh, is made manifest to the whole world. First at the empty tomb, and then ever since then through the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, millions and millions, billions of people have heard this story, have been impacted by it. So it's going to take a little bit of effort to drop back and, and try to approach this story as though we were reading it, in a sense, for the first time. Uh, again, our, our kids help us with this. It was wonderful to see Justin yesterday. Justin Sterenberg did a wonderful job using some colored eggs, uh, telling the children a story that many of us in this room know very, very well, but which they're just beginning to hear. They're just hearing about all these different things that, that we know so well. Um, so we're going to think a little bit about this. And I'm glad there are children in the room because they can help us look at this with fresh eyes. Because that would be very helpful to us this morning. So, Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Uh, there were witnesses to what happens in Mark chapter 16. There were witnesses. Uh, all the gospel writers record that there were witnesses. In fact, most of the gospels agree word for word, on who the first witnesses were. And significantly, the very first witnesses in every account of the resurrection, the very first human witnesses to this were all women. That was significant. Women who are open and intuitive, they were the first ones to go to the empty tomb. And it's spelled out that way. In all the gospel accounts of the resurrection of Jesus, it was, it was women. In fact, it was specifically mothers. Mary, the mother of James, we're told. There, there was a woman as a mother among them. And they go there to the empty tomb. And that's not insignificant, is it? It's very interesting that uh, the gospels have a picture of womanhood, a picture of the, the integrity, the importance, the significance of women. Uh, that's a beautiful thing to remember on Easter Sunday, that the Lord 
loved and loves women, and, and they are very much a part of the gospel story, part of the uh, witness to his resurrection. So they, they go there, and they're talking as they go about the fact that there's a big, heavy stone in front of the entryway to the uh, tomb. Uh, I don't know what they thought they were going to do with the spices uh, if the tomb was sealed. So their hearts and their intentions were maybe ahead of their common sense because they, as they made their way there, they were actually talking about the fact, what are we going to do when we get there? There's this stone that's much too heavy for us to move. How will we do what we're actually going there to do? But it says as they got there in verse 4, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Matthew tells us that it was an earthquake and an angel. Uh, Luke tells us that um, it, is, it was just found that way. We're not told exactly how. But however it happened, it happened. Some power had already been present. Some power had already made itself manifest. The power to roll this stone out of the way. Great power. And we're going to see this great power has an importance, not only in this story as we read it in Mark's gospel, but that great power is really at the heart of this story. What is, what is the point of the resurrection story? What is the point that Mark is recording? Well, he's certainly recording these simple facts, these simple facts that we know so well that our kids are learning, the simple facts that, that there were witnesses to an empty tomb. It was... Uh, an, an empty tomb they found in the garden there on that first Easter Sunday. It was an empty tomb accompanied with an explanation. Look at verse 6. This young, young man uh, in a white robe says to the women, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Uh, in Justin's little gospel talk uh, a couple of days ago, yesterday it was, uh, he, the twelfth egg, as he was telling this little gospel story, he held up this twelfth egg and said, what do you think is in this last Easter egg that we're going to look at on, Easter, on, on the fur Easter egg hunt? All the kids looked up trying to guess what would be in this last most significant Easter egg. Does anybody remember f- from yesterday, the kids, who were, what was in the Easter egg? Nothing. nothing. There was nothing in the last Easter egg. And that's what the, the young man says here. That when the women came expecting to to anoint the dead body of Jesus, they were actually told that he was not there. He had gone before them. He had been there, but he, verse 7, had gone before his disciples to Galilee. And there's a whole series of things that happened in the other Gospels. But Mark doesn't actually record many of those things. And in fact... The traditional ending of Mark's gospel, uh, the the one attested to by most of the oldest manuscripts of the uh, gospel of Mark that we have, end at verse 8. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Uh, That's, according to the oldest versions of Mark's gospel that we have, the the most ancient manuscripts actually end at verse 8 with the resurrected Christ, but this continuing questioning, the significance. There aren't the traditional stories recorded by Mark about the interaction of the resurrected Christ with his disciples. Not to say it didn't happen, but Mark didn't record it. 
according to the oldest manuscripts. Now, there are some very, very, very old manuscripts that do record verses 9 through 20, and I've included down through verse 15 because I, I think what we will see in verses 9 to 15 also has significance for us. Again, uh, Mark is not saying these things didn't happen. In fact, verses 9 to 15 summarize pretty well exactly what Matthew and Luke, for instance, record about these interactions between the resurrected Christ and his disciples. A lot of the things that Luke wrote about in great detail are summarized very simply by saying uh, they appeared to one another, to, in another form, verse 12, to two of them. Well, that's uh, surely a glimpse, a, a summary of what Luke said about Christ appearing to the disciples as they walked along the road to Emmaus, for instance. So what is added here in this longer ending to the Gospel of Mark is, is in a way, a summary. It might be just worth thinking a second about the history of the Gospel of Mark. I'm just going to camp here for a moment because I've been thinking about it all week. Why does Mark's Gospel end so differently? Well, some of you will know that 20th century scholarship, the scholarship I was taught at seminary, says that Mark is the oldest Gospel. You may have been taught that yourself. You may believe that very strongly. But there's been a lot of recent scholarship uh, that says that actually the traditional understanding may actually be more accurate. That perhaps Matthew's gospel is older and was written specifically for the mission to Jerusalem when the gospel was first going out among the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And Matthew's gospel would be an evangelistic tool helpful for that very purpose. Mark's gospel, it's pointed out, and this is attested to in very, very old sources, very ancient sources record this, that Mark's gospel, according to a lot of recent scholarship, is actually a summary and perhaps even a transcript of sermons preached by Peter to the church in Rome after he had left Jerusalem as the church was expanding into the Gentile world. Uh, Peter, who found himself in Rome where he died, Peter actually was preaching personal witnesses, personal testimony to the truth of Matthew's gospel, to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. And Mark's gospel simply records the bare facts that Peter would have shared in the sermons that he preached. I think that's very interesting to think about, that Mark's gospel could actually be, as the, some of the church fathers insist, that Mark's gospel is a summary of, and perhaps a transcript of Peter's sermons. And then Luke's gospel was written after Mark's summary of Peter's preaching, as it was authorized by Luke and by Paul, with whom Luke was associated. So that Matthew came first, Mark came perhaps second, or, or was at the same time as Luke. And then Luke was this summary gospel that, that Paul then used to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Why is that important? Why mention that on Easter morning? Because the title of this sermon is Crucified for Us and Raised for Us. Uh, Palm Sunday was crucified for us. Today is raised for us. What does this story that we teach our children about an empty tomb, what does that actually have to do with you and me? 
Why do we remember this on Easter? Why is it significant? Why are Christians around the world reflecting on this story? It's more than a beautiful story. It's more than a touching story. It's a story with great significance for every single Christian. Because what Mark wants us to know, what Peter wanted his hearers to know, what the Bible wants all of us to know, is that Jesus' resurrection has significance for you. What significance? Well, one one point of significance is the resurrection is the seal of approval by God on on the crucifixion of Christ. If Jesus had simply died, as it says he did in, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 15, if, if that had been the, the uh, end of the story, that would have been a pretty sad story. Even if it was accomplished, even if something was done in the death, how would we ever know it? What would be the significance of it? There, there's so much death in the world today. What would be the significance to you and me? Well, it's because of the resurrection that we can have confidence in the crucifixion. Jesus' resurrection is God's eternal, sovereign seal of acceptance, his seal of approval. This sacrifice, this one who was crucified, he has been raised to new life, and that is the proof, the evidence of the efficacy of his death on the cross. The reason you and I can celebrate the forgiveness of our sins is not only because he was crucified for us, but also because the one who was crucified for us has been raised for us. And now I can have confidence, you can have confidence in the forgiveness of sins and the promise of new life because the crucified one, the one who died for us, has been raised. And that's the evidence, the proof that Jesus really did accomplish what Mark said he accomplished. It's the seal of approval, and we praise God for it. It's also the inauguration of new creation. That was a theme that was very important to the church to understand, that they saw this resurrection of Jesus not only as having significance for each of us as individuals, but it also has significance for the whole universe. He really was raised for us. He initiates, he inaugurates this new creation that the book of Revelation unpacks. And that Paul in his proclamation of the gospel began to unpack this idea that with Jesus' resurrection, something more than merely moral happens to us. Something more than merely personal happens to us. We're part of this new radical transformation of everything. Jesus' resurrection shows him to be the firstborn of the new creation, Paul says. So the resurrection is pointing us not only to the deeply personal significance, but to the cosmic significance of the resurrection. In In the resurrection of Jesus... The creation that we read about in Genesis 1 recreates. There's this new life power that we see demonstrated in the resurrection of Christ. It has significance for us and and shows that Christ was raised for us because there's resurrection power now in our lives. The resurrection power that was shown 
in the resurrection of Jesus, that same power is at work in us. We're going to conclude our service this morning in in just a couple of minutes by looking at what the writer to the book of Hebrews has to say. Not quite sure who the writer of the book of Hebrews is, but he concluded with this promise. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, this is Hebrew chapter 13 verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. That same resurrected Jesus, that same resurrected Jesus brings power to us that now transforms us. Just like it raised him, now it changes us into his likeness. As our participation in his resurrection, which we celebrate at Easter time, we're now participants in his new resurrection life. And that power is at work in us. It's in work, at work in each of us, changing us. Day by day, moment by moment, as we wrestle with sin, as we wrestle with the reality of decay and the crazy world that Will prayed about a moment ago. We, as we live in this crazy world, the resurrection of power of Jesus is working in us and through us. That's the last significance, I think. And this is one that, that Mark stresses. Because not only is the inauguration of resurrection power in our lives, not only is the inauguration of new creation, not only is it a seal of approval of God's acceptance, finally, the resurrection of Jesus is the inauguration of God's mission in the world. Now, it's not a brand new mission. The whole, whole creation has been moving to this point. But at the resurrection, the mission of God the the sovereign purpose of God that has been hinted at in the Old Testament that we see in the earthly ministry of Christ in the resurrection, that hinted at ministry bursts into new, clear, manifest glory. That's where uh, the Gospel of Mark ends. It's where Luke 24 ends. Uh, It is a description of of the, the resurrection power of God in the witness of the church in the world. So just look in closing at verse, uh, chapter, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke stresses the nations. Mark stresses the whole creation. Seminary where I attended years ago in Virginia over the chapel window were these words go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation those words were burned into our minds because brothers and sisters what we celebrate here this morning is is not only a personal transformation it's actually our initiation into Christ's mission in the world Easter is about taking that resurrection power that's being made manifest into the whole world and proclaiming it to the whole world. It's significant that these are sermons, evangelistic sermons shared by a preacher to a group of people in Rome that he knew and loved and he cared about. And those words have been captured and 
and are now our words. They, they describe our mission. Easter is a missional season. Easter is a season when we, when we reach out with that resurrection power to the people around us. It makes me so happy to look around this room and see so many guests. Because I know most of the guests here are here because one of you invited them. And if there's anything that captures the spirit of Easter and the spirit of Christ's resurrection power as it's made manifest in the Bible, it's you and me reaching out to those we love and those we know with the good news of the resurrected Christ. That's very, very good news. That gives me such joy for our church, for the next generation, for all of us, that, that we're part of the mission of the resurrected Christ. Well, my hope for us at Metrocrest is that we will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow as that resurrection power surges through us and changes each one of us and makes each one of us more and more like Jesus. And then together we reach out to others with that same gospel message that has seized our hearts and that we now use to share the good news with other people. I think that would make the resurrected Jesus very, very pleased with us to be a church that takes that resurrection message to the world. We're resurrection people, brothers and sisters. The resurrection is not just a, an, a theological abstract that we think about and try to figure out. The resurrection of Jesus is actually the defining power in us. It gives us hope and courage and boldness. And may it give us faithfulness 